Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we are talking about our July book club pick, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus. I literally just finished this like less than 24 hours ago, so it is very fresh in my mind. But I'm I'm excited to discuss. And this is the one that you all chose. Yes. So before we get into all of that, let's do some highs and lows. Let's do it. Do you want to start? What's your high? Sure. Um, My high is something very small. I have had a recurring freelance client for years and years, and it's it's just grown to be tasks that I really loathe doing. And it's like good steady work, which in freelancing is kind of like the ultimate, like holy grail, having like an anchor client. But I really am at the point where I just want to start saying no to things and like just trusting that there will be something to take its place where I can put that energy elsewhere. And I always tell myself I'm going to say no to this one client, but I never, ever do for years and years. But this month I was like, you know what? I really, I need a break. I'm going to abandon this mindset that is like, I'm never going to have enough work. Like everyone's going to drop me. I'm going to be in a terrible situation. And anyway, I was kind of proud of myself for saying no. I don't think that's a small thing at all. I think that's awesome. Thank you. It's it's harder than it sounds. Okay, but talk about your high because I'm excited for you. I'm excited about this. I'm excited to hear you talk about it. So um, I finished the third draft of my book before I went to France. And I said that this round, I was going to share it with a handful of people for feedback. And so I shared it with about five people. Only two people have gotten me feedback so far. But both people gave me really positive feedback that is just totally renewed me. And I think that perhaps I've been maybe feeling more negative than I need to about it. Like there's still definitely work to be done. Like it's not perfect, but I don't know. Like I feel like the past couple of weeks of having two authors on who have both had like just very easy writing experiences has just like kind of thrown me and getting positive feedback was like, I needed it much more than I thought I did. I can totally relate to this. And also Becca did send me, I'm very honored. She's one of the people who has not gotten me feedback. Okay. But to be fair, I have given you initial feedback. I'm so I'm a hundred pages in, it is wonderful. And the whole time I kept thinking for what I've read so far, bad on paper listeners are going to lose their mind over this. Like it is so funny and it is so you and so smart and I'm excited to keep reading, but I am being very slow. But to be fair, I'm a mess of a human being lately. So No, I, I totally get it. And, you know, it's it's work to ask somebody to read and give feedback. So I'm not like in a rush for it. But even just getting the two pieces of positive feedback have just has been really helpful. I'm very excited for you. I think big things are right around the corner. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I, I, I believe it. I really do. Okay, you're low. What is your low? I see it here. Oh, and yeah. I feel bad for you. I feel really bad for you. I said last week that I was pretty sure I had bronchitis post COVID and I do. It's fine. I always get bronchitis after I have anything that is like respiratory related. Hopefully by next week I will be it'll be fully past this. Good. I hope so too. It's been a long journey. <laughs> yeah, this COVID kicked my ass this time. It's it's a beast. It's an ever evolving beast. I've also like thought about trying to exercise, even just, you know, do like a little arms weights thing. I don't know. I feel like my stamina is 
in the trash. Even I live on the third floor and just climbing the two flights of stairs to my apartment, like I am winded. Honestly, I'm winded walking up those stairs normally in your apartment. So, oh, well, <laughs> so there's that. But I hope you get back to normal soon because it's just not fun. Thank you. What about you? What is your low? My, my low is a little thing called the baby feet feel. Have you heard of this? Yeah, I've done it. I love it. Okay, How so has it turned into your low? It's just, I feel like it is a never ending process. Like I knew there was a lot of work to be done with the peeling. It was just, we've talked about my feet before. It's not good. It's not good. But now I'm like here in Florida. I'm staying at my brother-in-law's house. It's just not good. I'm like wearing socks everywhere because like it's still peeling like a week later. How long will this go on? Well, you got to time it. The other thing is soaking your feet will help. Okay. So here's my other question. I want to get a pedicure. Yeah. Will it be like they will be unfazed or will the, the, the pedicure person think I have a disease? Unclear. I, I do not know how to advise you on the etiquette there. All right. Well, you know what? I So it's, just gonna... it's working. It's just taking more time to work than you want it to. What's the low of yeah. it? I just felt like it would be more instantaneous. Also, part of me just thought it wouldn't work. I was like, I'm in lost cause. Like, I am. I need something else. Like, I this, it's not made for me. It's made for the person that has, like, a tiny callus on their pinky toe. But no. It's just, it's just a lot. It's a lot happening. It's a lot of carnage. I will tell you that I went and got my first professional pedicure before I went to France that I've had in three years. The last pedicure what? I had was in September of 2019. And then during oh COVID, God. it just didn't feel like I needed to. I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't end up getting one. I felt terrible. I tipped so well. You know when they take the cheese grater thing to your foot? Like the avalanche of foot dandruff that was coming off of my heels. It was vile. It was vile. I felt so bad. Like I just kept apologizing the whole time. So now it's taken care of and now I need to not go three years in between pedicures but you know that does make me feel slightly better so maybe i've made their job easier i think you have but you know like they saw my feet and didn't say anything to my face so you know i'll tip very well i'll tip very well yeah all right on that note let's take an ad break If you followed me for a while or you know me in real life, then you probably know that I have health anxiety. This means that I can very easily spiral about virtually any minor physical change or symptom. So over the years, I've learned that the best way of dealing with this is to stop consulting Dr. Google and to start booking appointments and seeing the professionals to find out what's really going on. I tell myself, okay, I don't need to worry about this because an expert is going to tell me whether or not I should freak out in just a few days. But the only way I've been able to make this happen is by using ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. It is the best if you need to find a new doctor. I love that I can plug in any type of doctor I'm looking for, from primary care to dentists to physical therapists, and any preferences I have. Like, for example, if I'm looking for a female OBGYN, and they give me a list of doctors who are in-network, take my insurance, and allow me to sort by distance or patient rating. And the booking is all online, so you never have to wait on hold with a receptionist again. And I love that I can see a doctor's entire schedule instead of just the next available appointment, so I can pick a time that works with my schedule and not vice versa. And some doctors have appointments as soon as today. 
The other thing I love about ZocDoc as someone with anxiety is that I don't have to worry about talking to someone on the phone. Usually when I'm booking a doctor's appointment, I'm already worried about something. So eliminating that extra anxiety-inducing step of getting on the phone, making the appointment, being on hold, all of that is a major game changer. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com BOP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-O-P. ZocDoc.com slash B-O-P. Shall we get into this book? Yes, I'm excited to talk about everything. All right, let's kick things off with doing a quick plot summary of this book. Elizabeth Zott is an odd duck. In 1960s California, she's a chemist at Hastings Research Institute, where she meets and falls in love with the equally idiosyncratic Calvin Evans. But just a few short years later, Calvin is dead, Elizabeth's been fired, and she's a single mother to a precocious daughter born out of wedlock which is how she finds herself unable to refuse an offer to host an afternoon cooking show. The show goes on to become one of the most watched and beloved shows in the country as she teaches the nation's housewives chemistry through cooking. So this was, again, listener's pick for July, and it was an extremely close race between this and Every Summer After by Carly Fortune. It was so fun to watch. We did a, we did a poll on Facebook, and we did it over mostly over a weekend and just watching the results come in was so fun for me. I like can't explain it. It was like my own personal horse race, just watching which book was in the lead. And like, it was actually kind of nuts because the first, I think this was the first book that somebody selected. Like we didn't give options. The listeners could put in the options in the poll. At first it was between this and the Hotel Nantucket by Ellen Hildebrand. And then Later in the game, somebody added Every Summer After by, by Carly Fortune. It just like kind of shot up in the ranks. It was unclear which one we were going to do. I think this won by a matter of 20 votes, and I think there were around 900 or so. It was very fun. I like this tradition of doing July as our listener pick month. I do too. I really loved it. And Becca and I had our own predictions as to which books people would choose. And so I don't think we predicted this one winning. No, I don't think so either. So... Tell me your initial feelings about this book. What You read it a while ago, and then you just re-listened to it, right? Yeah, that's right. So I, I read it in April, and I know it was April because I was visiting Grace, and I remember bringing it to her pool. So I read it for the first time then, and I really enjoyed the book. However, I was infuriated half the time I was reading it just because of the sexism, which is definitely the point, but I found it not to be the most pleasurable reading experience because I was so up in arms. Yeah, it's upsetting. And then the second time I listened to it, which was, I just always think it's interesting to see how the audiobook experience compares to the physical book experience. And I really like the narrator for it. So it was a really good one to listen to on audio. I can imagine it would be actually. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts? Because you just read this. You finished this yesterday. Yeah, I just finished. I read probably... 75% of it yesterday. I really liked it. It was different than I thought it would be. And I had heard a lot of people talk about it. I had seen it posted about a lot on social media. I, I really loved it. I loved the main character. And 
I loved all the different themes. It was very difficult to read in parts. I also think I liked it because it was very different than anything else I've read in the past couple years. Like, I don't know what I would compare it to. Do you? Yes, it felt very unique. The, the thing that I would compare it to is Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Oh, which I never read. Oh, you never read that? Yeah, it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, I'll get to that. And then I just didn't. <laughs> it felt very similar in terms of they're both told from the point of view of very quirky women who are both mothers and have very non-traditional attitudes towards motherhood. And so that felt very similar. They're both very intelligent women. They're struggling with different things and the time period's different. I think that Where'd You Go, Bernadette takes place in the 2000s versus this takes place in the 1960s. But like voice-wise, it reminded me a lot of that. But it did. It, it felt very unique. Like I think I'm not no reading slump per se, but I just feel like recently, like a lot of things just feel samey. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It did feel very fresh. No, this is entirely its own thing. That's why it works. How did you feel about Elizabeth Zott as a character? Did you like her? Oh, I loved her. I, I loved her. She really, like, I found myself very inspired by her just unwavering sense of self. I found it really awesome. What about you? I did really like her. Liked her a lot. I thought that she was a really interesting character to be in the mind of. Did you have someone you were picturing the whole time, like an actor? I didn't have an actor, and that's partially because I knew that this has already been cast for TV. So I didn't really try to think of other options. But we had a really interesting listener voicemail about kind of just conceiving of the character. Let's play that. Hey, Becca and Olivia. So loved lessons in chemistry. I was wondering um, as you were reading it, if you thought of anyone in particular as you were picturing or thinking about Elizabeth Zott. I thought she was such an interesting character and I really liked her, um, but she kept like reminding me of someone or a character that I knew or whatever. So the best thing I could come up with at the end of it was that she was a mix between Christina Yang from Grey's Anatomy, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, which I know is maybe weird references and maybe you don't didn't watch all of those things. But anyway, I was just wondering if you pictured someone in particular as you were reading. I, for some reason, I had a hard time thinking of who she would look like slash be like. I know they said she was blonde, but I didn't really see a blonde. But anyway, uh, let me know what you think. So I could totally see, I didn't think of it when I was when I was reading this or listening to the book, but I, I can totally see the Christina Yang thing. Like, Oh, me too. A woman who is hyper committed to her career and has non-traditional attitudes about marriage. And I don't think Christina Yang ever had a child or maybe it was after I stopped watching. Did she? No. I don't know. I, I'm not sure I'm not a committed Grace fan. I stopped a long time ago, but um, I totally saw that. And I also think Sheldon from Big Bang Theory in terms of just like the denseness of Elizabeth Zott sometimes, like I thought that was a really apt comparison. Yeah. The only thing I have to add of what I was picturing is instead of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I was picturing Bernadette from Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Is there a movie of that? Yes. And is Kate Blanchett in that? Yes. Okay, I was weirdly picturing Kate Blanchett sometimes, which I wonder if it's because my mind melded the two things, even though I haven't read the book or seen that. <laughs> I don't know how that would be oh. possible. So it or just maybe, seeped into your brain. Maybe, I don't know, because I kept picturing her. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I loved this uh, listener's voicemail and the the different sort of pieced together characters as well. I could totally see that. Yeah. 
Okay, so let's talk about the biggest sort of theme in this book, which is just rampant, really disturbing sexism. Yeah, tell me a little bit about how you felt about that. Like, expand on what you already said, I guess. I mean, I just, it was so infuriating, especially about her perception at Hastings and her career opportunities there that even having proven herself through work and even having, you know, it wasn't just give me a chance. Like she had already done this job and still nobody was willing to give her a chance or or were so dismissive of her. And that was so frustrating to me. And, you know, also at times we'll talk more about this relationship later, but even, you know, the relationship with Miss Frask, the secretary there who also disliked her, like the woman on woman sexism, I don't know. I I was just so irate through through half of this book. What struck me was there were so many things that just did not feel that distant to me. Like I could see so many of the scenarios just playing out in today. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that way at all? Like it just didn't feel that. For example, the last name discussion about taking his name like that felt real time to me. I don't know. Some of it felt like it could happen still today. I'd like to think that other aspects of it would be less stigmatized today, like especially the workplace elements. Yes. Although, you know, I think the book was inspired by, I I read an interview with Bonnie Garmus where she said she started writing it after like a particularly brutal meeting where, I don't know if it was that a man took credit for something or, you know, just that she was really fired up by a real life work situation. So, you know, I definitely think that it has parallels to today, but I'd like to say that hopefully it's not as extreme as it was in the book. I would hope so, but you know, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I thought it was really interesting that it was set in the 1960s because I guess I don't necessarily think of the 60s as that long ago. I also think of the 60s as like a generation of great change where the country was becoming more progressive and also just, you know, with women having been in the workplace during World War II and getting recruited into the war effort while men were off at war, I would have thought that attitudes would be more progressive in the 60s, I guess. And also, Mm -hmm. wasn't the 60s like the sexual revolution too? Or was that the 70s? I guess the late 60s, right? Isn't like 1968 or 69 like the summer of love? I don't remember. Yeah, you have a point, though. Like, it it kind of, I found myself having to remind myself, like, oh, this is the 1960s. I would think, oh, it's the 40s or it's the 50s. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I totally see what you mean there. Okay, something I'm really excited to talk about, which I think is a little bit lighter, is the character of 630, um, who has, like, a first-person perspective in the book. I guess it's told. Yeah, 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 it's told in first person. I personally was obsessed with this Me and too. how she used it. Okay, good. I was like, if Becca doesn't like this detail, I don't know how we're going to talk about this book. I thought it was the thing that made the like the heart of the book. Well, also, if you, we didn't say this, but if you didn't read the book and you're still listening, 630 is a dog. Yes, sorry. <laughs> 630 is a dog. Which isn't clear by the name, necessarily. Um, I th- Yeah, I thought it was so creative. I also thought, well, first of all, I thought it was so interesting that she was teaching 630 language where by, I think by the end he has over a thousand words that he knows and I do not know if that's actually realistic or feasible but I, I thought that, that was really fun but I also just thought his observations of humans were really accidentally funny. Yes I also loved how he called the baby the creature and I kept referring to the baby when it was 
before she was born as the creature. I just loved it. And I also thought it was so funny how he wanted everyone's name to be the time that they came into his life. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. It's so smart. I thought it was so creative. Just I was like, oh, I would have never thought to write that way. And it just delighted me. But I, I think we read the same art interview with her. The I think it was you.com or you magazine. Yeah, I read a bunch. Maybe. I read that one. So I loved reading it because apparently 630 is based on a rescue dog that she had named Friday, who was super smart, would pick up words. And they moved from, I think, Seattle to Switzerland. And uh, apparently when they got to Switzerland, they did an obedience test. And uh, the dog, Friday, got 100%, even though the test was in German. Oh, my gosh. And I just thought that, <laughs> I thought that was the most amazing thing. Um Apparently, she has a, do- a new dog now named 99. And there's this photo, if you read the article on you.com, of her with it's an old, old greyhound. And I saw this, she's wearing yeah. this yellow sweater and Converse, the most beautiful silver hair. And I was like, I, and she's with the dog. And I was like, I want to be this person. I want to be her. It's amazing. So, this begets the question what is the smartest thing that Winnie has ever done? Winnie? Oh, gosh. Oh, that's a tough question. Let me think for a second. I don't know. That's I, I don't know. That is a great question. She does manage to find a way to every every morning I wake up and she has somehow acquired 90% of the bed. I don't know how it happens. I am asleep when it happens. I just wake up and somehow she is in the most comfortable position, head always on the pillow, as if she is a human being, lay on her side, head on the pillow, and I just have basically no room. So I mean, she's somehow managed to figure that out every night, every single night. Do you consider her to be of above average intelligence? Hmm. (laughs) Maybe one thing she does that I always find very interesting that I haven't noticed with all dogs is she watches TV a lot. Oh, she'll her eye follows what's happening on the screen. Does she have preferences? Like is she more into some shows than others? No, it's so funny. Sometimes I'll put on like a squirrel video and she'll watch that. But I mean, she'll do it with like reality TV, anything. So I don't know if that means literally anything. But yeah, I would say she's of average intelligence and sometimes above average. Okay. She could be as dumb as anyone, anything, and I would still love her. Well, of course. Of course. I just I wanted to know where she was on the on the dog intelligence spectrum where it seemed like 630 was, you know, in the upper echelons here. Have you seen the the dogs on Instagram where they, uh, oh, it's called Stella Learns to Talk. Have you seen this account? No. Basically, this woman has taught her dog to speak by using different buttons that make like audible noises. And oh my so, God, it's, um, it's, it's Project Hail Mary. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is the crossover we did not expect. Yes, it is. I, I don't know. You watch it over time and you're like, I don't know if this is real. Like this could be a coincidence. But then... It's really just kind of fun to suspend disbelief anyway. It's pretty cool. I'll have to look it up. So beyond the, the major theme of, of sexism, I for me, what I really liked about the book and what I was kind of left with after was I just really loved how in the face of the most horrible things that could happen, she just had zero fear, it seemed like, of just being completely unlike everyone around her. And that was kind of what I was left with after the book. And I really really liked that. I don't know. What what were you left with after it other than just hating the sexism? Um, I, I see what you mean. I guess there was a question in my mind how much of that was choice versus mm. 
how she was built. Like there was no storyline about neurodivergence, but she reminded me of some of the characters like an Eleanor Oliphant or um, the main character in, in The Maid, whose name I can't remember, but like characters that are yeah on, on the spectrum somehow. And so, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I, I kind of wondered if with her there was like a little bit of that because it did seem like she didn't care, but in some cases it didn't seem like a choice. Like sometimes people would ask her a question and she wouldn't understand that it was weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I see your point there. So it didn't necessarily stand out to me as like an act of bravery so much as just like an innate quality about her. Hmm. Yeah. One thing that was really stuck with me was uh, there was this line in the book about when the life reporter goes to see her cooking show and is sitting in the audience and he asks another woman in the audience what she likes about it and she said that she takes us seriously and I thought that that was really interesting where it was like it was a cooking show but it wasn't a cooking show yeah you know like it didn't seem like her recipes were like they were solid technically sound recipes but it wasn't like wow this is the most delicious food I've ever seen like it was about something else it was about her taking these women seriously and believing in them and I thought that that was something that was really interesting Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I really liked how it would jump to like, oh, someone in, I forget the name, you know, random city, California, watching the show and reacting to it while like their kids played in the same room. And I thought that was really powerful, like the way that she made these people feel seen. Mm -hmm. It was really heartwarming. I don't know. It was it was empowering to read weirdly. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so another detail that I really liked in the book was the different uh, perspectives on women and and how they are and how it wasn't just like, okay, here's the, you know, the feminist character we all need to be. So tell me about what you thought about Miss Frask and Harriet Sloan. So I loved the kind of triumvirate of these three different types of women. And I also, I like any story where you originally start hating somebody and then you find out that you were completely wrong. So I really liked Miss Frask's storyline. And I especially loved kind of that moment of discovery when they're both in the bathroom, when Elizabeth comes back to Hastings and they discover that both of them had, both of them felt like they were more qualified than the positions they'd been given. Both of them had not been able to complete their formal education because they'd been raped by a man who was like in charge of their program. And I I thought that there was something that was like really powerful about the two of them discovering this shared experience, kind of getting onto the same team, even though it didn't seem like Miss Frask like particularly liked Elizabeth, but it was just like, oh yeah, I don't like you, but I respect you. Yeah. And she seemed much more traditional in terms of she was very marriage minded. Mm-hmm. And so even still her having that more traditional attitude, but then still sharing this career mindedness with Elizabeth and being able to find common ground, I really liked. Yeah, I loved it as well. I also just liked how Harriet was such a cheerleader for Elizabeth, even though I perceived Harriet to be older, like in her 50s or 60s and, you know, not necessarily sharing the same values per se as Elizabeth, but being like, good for you and like supporting her. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, and it was also a, a, a way that the plot developed that I didn't expect how Miss Frask like changed her opinion or at least, yeah, kind of had remorse for the way that she had acted. It really made me think about the ways that 
maybe all of us like are conditioned by society to be not as generous towards other women as we should be, I guess. Not because we feel that way, but because that's just the world around us. Um, And yeah, I thought it was also interesting just to see, okay, here are three very different women who are, who have different values, who are still ultimately deserving of the same type of equality. And yeah, I just, I really liked it. I also think it made it a more well-rounded book as opposed to having like the Mm -hmm. exceptionalism of Elizabeth Zott, who was obviously of like very high intelligence, like a very exceptional woman to also have this, some of these same themes explored through other women who were perhaps more representative of like the attitudes of the time and like were Mm -hmm. more common average Janes. Yeah. I thought it was also just very smart of the author because, you know, you don't have to be an atheist to be a feminist. <laughs> like, there's a million different versions of what a feminist looks like. Yeah, I loved it. Let's take an ad break. So it took me many years to realize that I didn't need to wear shapewear to look good in clothing. But there are still certain fabrics and silhouettes that I just feel better in while wearing an extra layer of support underneath, especially if I'm already having a bad body image day or I just need a little extra boost before getting dressed. The difference now is that when I do wear shapewear, I ask myself a few questions before putting it on or purchasing it in the first place. Does this make me feel comfortable in my body? Can I move around in it? Will I be thinking about this the entire night instead of actually having fun? This is why I love Honey Love. It checks all of these boxes and more, and it's shapewear that you actually want to wear. So when I was in France, I was a one-woman Honey Love hype crew. I could not stop singing its praises. I wore it a couple times with a couple of different dresses. I feel like it really makes a big difference. Like, it is not wimpy shapewear that doesn't really do much. And the other thing that I love is that it does not move once you put it on. It's not rolling down. It's not hiking up. Like it stays in place, which is so major because there's nothing worse than putting on shapewear and then having to pick at it the whole night or being super conscious of it. The other thing that I recently learned about the brand is that every Honey Love product goes through one to two years of rigorous testing with real women. So by the time it gets to you, you know it's going to look and feel great. Plus, I'm not the only one who loves the brand. Honey Love has been featured in the New York Times, on Good Morning America, in Brides Magazine, and has thousands of five-star reviews. So one situation that I absolutely despise that I feel like all of us can probably relate to is the feeling of being at a dinner or a wedding or a nice event and then fantasizing about going to the bathroom, taking off the painful shapewear that we're wearing and stuffing it into a purse for the rest of the night or a trash can. There is seriously nothing that can take me out of a moment more than the feeling of uncomfortable spandex digging into the side of my rib cage or the dreaded feeling of having the shorts of a bodysuit rolling up. That's the absolute worst, in my opinion. The construction of Honey Love pieces ensures that this never, ever happens, which I love. Their shapewear has a signature X that helps your body feel supported and smooth under clothing, but somehow it does so without any of the downsides I've experienced with other brands. It's still comfortable, it doesn't roll down or up, and more importantly, it's something that I don't dread putting on my body. See for yourself at honeylove.com and get 20% off a second item. 
Plus, when you use code BOP, you'll get an additional 10% off your entire order. Get 20% off your second item plus an additional 10% off at honeylove.com with code BOP. Honeylove.com with code BOP. Rules and restrictions may apply. So something that surprised me about this book a little bit is that I wasn't going into it expecting to immediately be hit by what I came to find a very charming love story. But what did you think about that plot point and the relationship between Calvin and Elizabeth? Well, I wasn't expecting that either. But then once it happened, I was not expecting him to die. So I got surprised twice just based on how he comes in and out of the story. I thought it was really interesting. I thought that the fact that they were both very obstinate people and they found each other but found common ground with each other I, I I really liked as a love story that it was built on like mutual intellectual respect and like she's described as being very attractive but it didn't seem I don't think do we ever get his perspective maybe I think it's told in the third person right I can't remember so it's like kind of both but I think you are in his head at certain points but you, you get the impression that what he likes about her isn't how attractive she is. Right. Yes. And so I really liked that. But wait, can I tell you a funny story? And then I want to hear yes. your, your thoughts on this. So when, when we were in Paris, I was talking to Rachel about lessons in chemistry. I, I was trying to describe it to her and I was having trouble kind of describing it. And I was like, yeah, it's like, it's like a little bit more literary. Like it's really different. I was like, you know, there's a love story, but it's not the primary story. And, you know, like sold her on reading it. And so then a couple of days later, she's reading it and she's telling me, she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, I don't know if I would call this literary. And I was like, you wouldn't? Like, I would call it decently literary. And then she's like, yeah. And like the love story is like the biggest part. She's like, and I'm at the point where like blah, blah, blah happens. And, and I hadn't started re-listening to the book at this point. And I was like, I don't even remember that. And so we're like, we're talking about this. It turns out she was reading a completely different book. She was reading The Love Hypothesis. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is also about a woman in STEM, but is contemporary. I haven't read it, but I do not get the impression is like very literally like it's a, it's a rom-com. And it took us like a few minutes to put this together. And then once that happened, I was like crying laughing. Yeah, I think it's very different. But I can actually see how that mix-up would have happened. I think she had put it on hold at the library. And when we started talking about this, because she mistook the names of the books, and she was like, oh, like, my library hold for lessons in chemistry came in. That's the next book I'm going to read. And so then, like, it just was, I just thought it was a funny mishap. It was very funny. What did you think about the love plotline in this? I liked it. I was kind of like, I don't know. I've read kind of a lot of romance lately and I was like, oh, I was hoping for something a little different. And then it, it just was so refreshing. And I and I really, you know what I really liked about it? That they didn't always agree mm-hmm. and that there were points of conflict. And yeah, that just made it, I think, that much more interesting. But yeah, I, I loved it. Did you have someone that you imagined playing Calvin while you were reading? I was picturing Sam Claffin from uh, Me Before You. Oh, interesting. And okay. I don't think that's right because he, Calvin is described as like not being super attractive. And I think Sam Claflin is like very attractive. He is indeed. Sam Claflin? Claflin? I don't know. We knew hmm. who you meant. But that's what I was picturing. Were you picturing anyone? I was picturing 
He's not blonde. Domnell Gleason, the guy from About Time. He's ginger, but he's very oh, tall. Oh, that's and like weirdly cute. Yes, and, I could totally like, see not, that. Yeah, yeah. I thought it would be a good fit. Oh my god, that movie is like the saddest movie of all time. Oh, it um, it absolutely crushes me each and every time I yeah. watch it. But I love it. Yes, agree. How did you feel about the ending of the book? Were you upset when Elizabeth quit the cooking show? You know, if I have anything bad to say about this book, I will say I thought the ending was the weakest part. I agree. Or I guess I have a slightly different twist on that. Mm -hmm. The plot line that I disliked the most was the plot line about Calvin's birth family and the fact that he had this like rich, what word am I looking for? This like benefactor. Yeah, this benefactor throughout his life. And I just thought it was like overly convenient that he had people funding these things. And I didn't think it was necessary. Like he went to Cambridge on a rowing scholarship and he was extraordinarily gifted in terms of just like his his intelligence. And so it I don't know, like it just felt to like trade too much on coincidence for me, that whole plot line. And so the fact that that's how the whole book resolved that Elizabeth Zott went back to Hastings because of this rich benefactor mother, like was not my favorite. I do wish she would have continued the cooking show. And I wish she would have found through doing it that, you know, even though she didn't want to do it in the first place because it wasn't chemistry and she didn't think that it was, and and she thought it was beneath her that like, she was able to recognize the value in it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of wish she would have too. And I agree about the plot line with the family um, and the benefactor. I found myself that whole like revelation chapter at the end, like I just kind of skimmed it. I wasn't very interested or invested, which I don't know. I didn't really need the twist either. I thought like it just, I don't know. It didn't feel important to me, but I didn't hate it. I just thought that maybe there's a different version of this that I would have liked more. Um, But I think it's hard. I I think it's hard once, and we can talk about this in books we read this week because I read another very popular book that I'm not positive that I love the ending. And I think sometimes when you build a really fantastic Mm. book, it's like, how do you land this plane? And it's like almost because the rest of the book is so good. It's like, what do I even want out of this? And I, as the reader, don't know the answer with lessons in chemistry where it's, I don't know what I wanted. Because it ends with her her closing statement from the show, correct? I just read this 12 hours ago. I'm like, what what is the last sentence in the book? No, it ends with her inviting the mother over to her house for dinner after the mother tells her that she bought Hastings And is bringing her back and is like, what do you need in the lab? And then she... Yes, you're right. You're right. She doesn't know that the mother is Calvin's mother. You're right. Okay. And she's like, I wasn't going to tell you this, but now I am. But I have to go. And she's like, oh, why do you have to go? And she's like, well, will you come over for dinner for supper at six or something? Yeah. Okay. You're right. See, I totally in my mind had flipped those two. Mm. But I would have loved for it to end from 630's perspective. Oh, I would have loved that too. That would have been nice. I thought it would have been so sweet because the whole time I was expecting him to die, by the way, because oh. I was like, oh, that because w- that would gut me like that would gut me. And I think it's really hard to have a dog die in a book. I think you lose a lot of uh, <laughs> like I know, for instance, like Rachel and our friend Tara, like will specifically text if they're watching a TV show where an animal dies and like they'll be like, oh, the warning. And they like won't watch a show because of that. 
So I think you would like lose a lot of people in this book if 630 died. That's fair. I, I guess I just thought that he was one of the strongest voices in the book. <laughs> so I agree. It could have been such a sweet last like line. But anyway, still good. Okay, so something else I loved about this book has been learning about the author and her yes. journey. I'm like, wait, somebody DM'd me. I can't remember if it's a listener's, Bonnie Garmus is a listener's mom or a listener's friend's mom. Whoever oh. DM'd me that, the DMs have terrible search feature, but will you, will you DM us again and, and yes. remind me which it is? I, I am Bonnie's biggest fan now. I love her. Well, she sounds like such an interesting person. And I love that this was her debut novel and it came out when she was 64. Yeah, that's that's the, I, I don't know. It's just so inspiring to me. And then I was also reading up about her. So apparently this is her third book that she wrote. The first one she didn't finish. The second one she finished and then queried. And it was apparently 700 pages long. And <laughs> she had, I don't know if this is an exaggeration or if this is true, but she, she says that she had 98 rejected queries. And then that Lessons in Chemistry is her third book. And I think she started writing it in 2015. So coming out in 2022, it was like kind of like a six year long journey. Yeah. Wow. But I, I find that whole story so inspiring. So inspiring. And I think, you know, one thing that I think is very true that has not changed in culture at all is that there's just this dismissal of women over probably 50. I don't know. You could probably even say younger that like, okay, well, you're done. You figured it out. There's no changing your life. There's no trying something new. There's certainly no failing and then trying again at something new. So I find it really inspiring. She seems like a super fascinating person. I know Sarah's Bookshelves, the podcast, did an episode with her that I'm looking forward to listening to as well. Oh, I haven't listened to that. I'll have to seek that out. Also, I just am in awe of her because can you imagine how much research was required for this book? Oh, gosh. I In the article, it was talking about how she was reading 1950s or 60s chemistry like textbooks because there wasn't anything on the internet or like articles about that time period. And then she'd have her scientist friend's I mean, she not a, be a traditional scientist and do this is is just so impressive. Yeah, she was a freelance copywriter. So, you know, like she's not a chemist by trade. And I felt like I mean, I didn't I mean, I'm the least sciencey person in the whole world, but it felt like a scientist could have written it. Totally. And I also think it's just really challenging in general to write historical fiction and to do that well. Yes, I totally agree. It's something that I think takes a lot of patience probably. Yeah. I'm curious why do you think that this book has been so well received? It's a great question because I have seen it truly everywhere, but just on the description alone, I was always like, I don't, it's curious to me, but I think it's kind of what we touched on earlier. It's entirely unique. Like, it's just, I don't know if there's a lot to compare it to. And I mean, I think the whole thing really rests on the character of Elizabeth. (laughs) I mean, it's so well-developed and fresh and inspiring and empowering I also think that the book has a lot of message and respect for working motherhood. Yes, yes. I think that, you know, even if the circumstances are dramatically different than they were in the 60s, I think that the same way that the woman in the studio audience says, like, she's t- she takes me seriously. Like, I think this book ver- took working motherhood very seriously and also had an interesting point of view on maintaining one's sense of self in addition to identity as a mother. Yes. Where Elizabeth was still a rower and, you know, she had this 
cooking show that was like fully separate from her identity of motherhood. And I, I think that is also, I'm not a mother, but I think it was very interesting and inspiring. And I, I just, I think she took working motherhood really seriously. Yes, I, I totally agree. And as someone who wants kids, but doesn't really want them right now. And I found it just to be a really refreshing portrayal of being an individual and being Mm -hmm. a mother. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that this is really interesting timing because um, did you watch the Julia Child HBO series that came out a couple of months ago? I didn't. I watched the recent documentary about her, though. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just curious. How did you feel about Elizabeth Zott vis-a-vis Julia Child? Uh, There are definitely similarities, I would say. I definitely, I wasn't picturing Julia Child. I wasn't either. I think it's an interesting dichotomy almost where it was like Mm -hmm. Julia Child was doing this for the pure love of cooking. I think Mm -hmm. there was something about being underestimated. Like in the HBO series, one of the plot points earlier on is that she gets this time slot and they end up, she gets put on by a female producer they end up getting so many calls about her show more than they've ever gotten. So I think there's the commonality of that detail where they were like both underestimated, but they were very much in it for different reasons. And I just, I thought it was interesting to see, you know, Julia Child was fighting for her chance to host this cooking show because of her passion about food and cooking versus Elizabeth Zott was like very reluctantly thrust into this. So I just thought it was an interesting dichotomy of these two women characters in a similar time period dealing with two different sides of the same coin. Yeah, definitely. Is the show on HBO worth watching, do you think? Here's the thing. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't finish it, but not for any reason. I just kind of like fizzled out because it was coming out weekly and I kind of forgot about it until I was doing the outline for this. There is one really fun episode where she goes to San Francisco and she meets up with James Beard, which is really fun. (laughs) That does sound fun. It was really enjoyable. I don't know why I trailed off. Like, I think it was just something that I wasn't as addicted to that I wanted to stick with when it was coming out weekly. Okay, that makes sense. Like, if I could have binged it, I would have, like, watched it all on a weekend. Fair. The other thing, I don't know if you knew this, but this is becoming a TV show for Apple TV. I think it's coming out next year. And Brie Larson is attached to be Elizabeth Zott. How do you feel about that? I feel kind of neutral about it. Like, I could see it. It doesn't feel perfect to me, but I could see it. I don't know. What about you? I think I agree with that. I don't picture Brie Larson looks-wise, but I think there is a sharpness to Brie Larson's manner of speaking or communication that I could see being, like, very fit for Elizabeth Zott. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I'm excited to see how this how this adapts. And if it's I assume it'll be a mini series because I'm not really sure what you would do with the story beyond this. Like it feels very self-contained. I think so. I'll definitely watch it. I'll be very, very curious to see what they do with it. Do you know when it's being released? I think next year. I think it's for 2023. I think the news was announced in January. Wow, fast. Of this year, before the book even came out. And so I think it's like I don't know where it is in the production process, but I want to say this morning when I was doing all my reading that it comes out in 2023. Okay, great. Well, I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, I I, it's I mean, that's the thing with all these book to film adaptations is that I feel like a lot of them get stuck. I mean, this one, at least Apple TV is already attached to it as opposed to just a production company. 
I don't know. I'm just, I'm always so interested in the comparison of something as a book versus as a screen adaptation. Yeah. I tried to see if there were any other actors attached to it, but I couldn't find any information. I don't think there are. I think Brie Larson was attached to it from the beginning as like an executive producer too. Oh, interesting. So it wasn't like they started casting. It was like she came packaged with the project. All right. Shall we take an ad break before we get into some end matter? Yes, let's do it. So the other day, I posted a sponsored story on Instagram about a pair of shoes I have been loving lately. I got so many nice messages about the shoes, but the main question I received in my DMs was, where is your dress from? And dress details, please. And oh my gosh, I need that dress right now. And honestly, I don't really blame anyone for asking those questions because it is one of my favorites. That dress is the chalet dress from Tradlands, and it really is as cute as everyone made it seem in my DMs. Plus, I love everything that Tradlands is about. The brand focuses on slow fashion, pieces that are made to last, and best of all, in my opinion, they have sizes that go up to 5X. I also love my Tradlands dress. I have the Nico dress in Sedona, which is this like deep brick red. And I've described it as being kind of a cross between Santa Fe Farmer's Market and Coastal Grandma. And I just, I love it. I love the linen, which is so comfortable and breathable. I actually ended up wearing this yesterday while I was on this like saga of a trip to three different pharmacies to get my prescription filled for this inhaler. And it was so hot and humid out. And I, I just like, I love linen for summer. Me too. I find myself reaching for my dress, which is made of the same linen material so much during the summer. The linen somehow feels more elevated than like a jersey or a cotton material, but it feels as comfortable and livable as basically anything else I own. The dress is also so easy to dress up or down. I'm very curious actually to pair it with one of Treadland's cardigans in the fall, which is something I know you've mentioned to me too, Becca. And the thing about Treadlands is that the brand makes pieces which truly feel timeless across seasons, years, and trends. It's one thing to know that a brand claims to make pieces that are going to last, but it's another to really experience what that feels like in terms of quality and fit. And let me tell you, it feels very good. So if you want to shop the Nico dress, which is what I have, or the chalet dress, which is what Olivia has, or any of their other amazing pieces of clothing, go to tradlands.com slash badonpaper, all one word, and use code badonpaper20 for a discount of 20% off. So that's T-R-A-D-L-A-N-D-S dot com slash badonpaper and code badonpaper20, all caps. Let's talk about obsessions. Hit me with your obsession. I am really hungry, so this is going to be difficult to listen to, but I will stay strong. So I teased this a few episodes ago and got sidetracked. So the backstory here is Trader Joe's in New York City is hell on earth. The Union Square it's Trader true. Joe's. Oh my God. I swear to God, the line starts where when you walk in and then it wraps around the entire store. Oh my God. We used to go and I would get, I'd go, Jake, get in line. And then I'd run around the store, filling up the basket as he waited in line. It is a battleground. It is hell on earth. And so I, since I've lived in New York, never go to Trader Joe's. But they opened a Trader Joe's in Williamsburg a couple of months ago. And I don't know if it's because 
it hasn't caught on yet and people don't know that it opened because it's like kind of nondescript from the outside and the store itself is um, subterranean. But it is almost always empty. Oh, interesting. It is heaven. So anyway, so I've been I've been going to Trader Joe's and it's not where I do my regular grocery shopping, but like the frozen food section at Trader Joe's is just like unparalleled. Heaven. So I ended up getting these ice cream cones. It's called Hold the Cone and it's these mini ice cream cones that are like, I don't know, like three bites or so. And they are my new favorite thing. Have you ever had them? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, once a long time ago living in New York. Yeah, they're these t- they're the tiny like waffle cones with yes. the ice cream, right? Yeah. And then they're dipped in chocolate. The top is dipped in chocolate. So good. And yeah. so I really like there's coffee ice cream ones with chocolate on the outside and then there's chocolate oh chip gosh. ice cream ones with chocolate on the outside. And there's also like plain vanilla and chocolate ones, but I'm endorsing the specifically the coffee or the chocolate chip oh, ones. The coffee sounds so good. These are my obsession. And like portion size it feels really right. Also like I don't, well, I'm sure some people do, but like I never have an at-home ice cream cone. Like an ice cream cone feels very much like an out-of-the-house thing. And so it feels like a real treat to be able to have it at home. How do you hold yourself to just one? Because I would be eating like five at a time. Mm, I think it's more of a rationing thing because I know that I'll Mm -hmm. run out and I'll be sad. Smart. Very smart. Very smart. I did have one right before we started recording. Oh, I want one so bad. It's like five and I'm just over this day and it's 107,000 degrees in Florida where I'm recording. But anyway, Ugh. also, wonderful. I think this is more of a me thing than a universal thing. So my favorite candy bar is a score bar. Wow. The, the face that Olivia just made when I said that. <laughs> I was expecting you to say Heath. No, it's a score bar. And, and you surprised me. <laughs> I also found at Trader Joe's not in the frozen food section they have these like mini toffee bars and i am just i'm in heaven wow okay that sounds really good i really want to go to a trader joe's maybe there's one here i can go to because it's like oh a, my god a suburban activity get yourself some ice cream cones i'm i'm really on the trader joe's discovery bandwagon right now i feel like i'm just really the trader joe's picks like instagram accounts no i want to do it for myself okay this is a journey that's, i'm on that's that's, I like it. I like it. You got to find your own Trader Joe's passions in this life. Yeah. What about you? So my obsession is the show slash documentary Catfish. Is there anything? <laughs> is there a new Catfish? Uh, so there's been a show for like probably 10 years at this point. Uh-huh. Um, it's all on Hulu. And Jake and I, I don't know what came over us. We just watched like probably 50 episodes in the past three weeks oh wow and, and then jake revealed to me that he had never seen the original catfish documentary from you know 2000 i've never seen it what oh i don't my think gosh. so i've definitely seen episodes of the tv show but i've never i don't think oh, i've ever you... seen the documentary oh my gosh okay so when it came out it was like this viral thing you know and because the internet wasn't what it is now and social media isn't what it is now it was like this thing where it's like, oh, you got to go to Blockbuster and rent it and then you'll talk about it. And Mm -hmm. it is this very interesting like freeze frame of culture because social media exists, but it's very limited. And so the whole reason the show exists is because Neve, the host, was was catfished. It's actually a very sort of introspective, interesting documentary when I watched it back. But you hear like the origin of the word catfish, like why it's called catfish, why that word exists in our world. 
And without giving too much away, it's the origin of it is actually really interesting. So I don't know. It's just been a fun little trip down memory lane these days. I'm really happy for you that you're enjoying that. <laughs> Thank you so much. What have you been reading lately? So I finished Vacation Land by Meg Mitchell Moore, which I really enjoyed. And I think the comparison to Ellen Hildebrand is very apt. So I enjoyed that. And then over the weekend, I read in one day, I read Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, which Emma Straub had recommended incredibly highly when she was on the podcast. And then Ashley Spivey recommended it in our uh, summer reading preview episode. I think there's a pull quote on the back that it's like, this is a once in a decade book. And I like, I truly do agree with that. Like, it is incredible. It is a platonic love story about two friends, um, a male and a female, who build video games together. And on the surface, like, this just does not sound like my kind of book. And it was incredible. And also, the writing is incredible. It is I think it's like 380 pages, or at least the version I have is 380 pages. And like, it feels like reading five books. Like there is so much there. Um, yeah, it's um, a masterpiece, I think. I really enjoyed it. I will say, I do not know that we stuck the landing on the ending for me. I still gave it five stars. It is like so in- enjoyable, so fantastic. I don't know if it stuck the landing for me on the ending. You know, I kind of remember feeling that way too, but I was so blown away by everything else that I was like, oh, yes. whatever. <laughs> yeah, like it feels Doesn't matter. like it, it really felt, th- it felt a kinship to me with A Little Life, which is one of my all-time favorite books. Mm. It was fantastic. What did you read? So I read Lessons in Chemistry, and then I also read The Last Mrs. Parish by Lynn Constantine and Valerie Constantine, which... Wait. Yeah. I thought this book was by Liv Constantine. Is that like a Christina Lauren where it's two people? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Oh, my God. I had no idea. Grace really likes their books, and I didn't know it was two people. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, But then I I always read like the about the author and the acknowledgments, and they're either sisters or sister-in-laws. Oh, interesting. I'm like, I cannot conceive of writing a book with someone else, let alone someone I'm related to. Um, It's quite impressive, I think. I think I would enjoy writing a book with somebody. I do not know that I would enjoy writing a book with my sister and or sister-in-law, neither of which I have, but just, yeah. Well, there's no way to keep the relationship totally professional. (laughs) Like, It's just probably all you talk about. This was a pretty good thriller. It wasn't like my favorite of all time, but it was on Kindle Unlimited and I just read it in one night. It is about a woman who tries to break up a marriage and she befriends the wife and I can't really say anything else because it'll give things away. But if you like domestic thrillers, pretty enjoyable. And that's it. So that's what we've got for you. We're recording a little bit in advance because Olivia is going to be traveling. So we have not yet picked our August book club pick, but we'll announce that on social media and put it in our Instagram bio when we have that. And in the meantime, I would love to talk to you about this book in the Facebook group if you have thoughts that you would like to share about lessons in chemistry. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm having trouble landing this plane now after all of my complaints about <laughs> endings. I'm not doing excellent right now. You're doing a great job. Um, I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.